Section 33 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 8, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Catherine of Braganza, Chapter 3, Part 5. At the landing of the Prince of Orange, Catherine conducted herself with great prudence and dignity. The passions of the rabble had been excited against persons of her religion. The Catholic chapels were demolished, the houses of the ambassadors attacked and plundered, and papists were accused of the most horrible designs. But she calmly bided the storm, remaining quietly at Somerset House, while her Lord Chamberlain, Feversham, was exerting himself in the cause of his unfortunate king. When that nobleman was arrested by the Prince of Orange, for the simple performance of his duty, in delivering a letter to him from King James, Catherine, of course, felt some uneasiness, but betrayed no sort of alarm. Her royal brother-in-law was so well convinced of her honorable and conscientious conduct in the time of his sore perplexity and distress, when abandoned by his own children and the creatures of his bounty, that on his return to London, after his first retreat, he stopped at Somerset House and conferred with her before he proceeded to Whitehall. Probably he required intelligence of the state of the metropolis, and he well knew that he might depend on her sincerity, or he might expect to learn the fate of Lord Feversham from her. This interview, which was their last, was on the 18th of December. James retired to Rochester on the 30th. The Prince of Orange paid a visit to Queen Catherine the same evening. He found her pensive and unoccupied, and asked, Why she was not playing at Bisset that night? The queen, who was very anxious to plead the case of the Earl of Feversham, said, She had not played at Bisset since the absence of her chamberlain, who always kept the bank. The prince replied, He would no longer interrupt her majesty's diversions, and ordered Feversham to be liberated. It is pleasing to be able to record so agreeable an instance of good nature in a prince whose manners were little characterized by courtesy, but William was himself excessively fond of cards and could therefore sympathize with the ennui which he concluded the royal widow felt in being compelled to pass her evenings without that amusement. Rough and ungracious as his general deportment was, Catherine experienced more kindness and consideration from William than from his queen, although Mary had been accustomed from infancy to receive the affectionate endearments of an aunt from her. Catherine, having always lived on the best possible terms with Mary's deceased mother, and was with her when she breathed her last. A difficult course remained for poor Catherine, after the expatriation of James II and his queen, when she was left alone and friendless in a land where she was the only tolerated professor of a faith which she had seen bring imprisonment, death, or exile on most of her dear friends and faithful servants. She had her anxiety, too, on the score of her dowry, having seen that her royal sister-in-law, Mary Beatrice, find its way into the pockets of the new sovereigns, though it had been settled on that queen by an act of parliament, not less binding than that by which her own had been secured to herself. If she had fled to Portugal on the first alarm of the revolution, small would have been her chance of receiving her annual revenue, but like a wise woman, she courageously weathered the storm. It was well for Catherine that William was the master power at the first settlement of the finances of the realm, and that he respected the rights of the widow of the uncle to whom he was indebted for a wife who had made him king of England. 
the royal widow was not however without her mortifications a bill against the papists passed in the house of commons july nineteenth sixteen eighty nine by which the queen dowager's popish servants were limited to eighteen in number which the lords refused to sanction this insult observed sir john dalrymple induced the unfortunate princess to quit forever a kingdom in which all knees had once bowed to her more than two years elapsed before she was permitted to put her design into execution and in the meantime she was subjected to some bitter annoyances two days before william the third left london to embark for ireland he sent lord nottingham his queen's lord chamberlain to tell catherine of berganza that it was observed there were great meetings and cabalings against his government at her residence of somerset house he therefore desired that her majesty would please to leave town and take up her abode at either windsor or audley end queen catherine testified the utmost astonishment at this message but she was not in the least intimidated she replied that her earnest desire was to quit his territories altogether for portugal if he would but have appointed ships for her voyage as it was she did not intend to go out of her house which was her own by treaty the next day she sent lord halifax and lord feversham to represent to the king on what frivolous ground she had been disquieted by nottingham's message on which king william sent queen catherine many profuse compliments and bade her not think of removing from the extreme enmity expressed by queen mary in her letters against the queen dowager it would seem that the annoyance came from her before william had left england a week mary endeavoured to force a serious quarrel with her royal aunt on the following pretext she had ordered a prayer for her husband's success in the contest between him and her father to be used in all the churches this it seems was omitted in the savoy chapel a protestant place of worship attached to somerset house catherine never entered it herself but it was retained by her for the use of her protestant servants and was subject to the regulations of her lord chamberlain whether catherine did not choose her friend and brother-in-law james the second to be prayed against in her palace chapel or the omission was contrived by feversham who was a thorough-paced jacobite is not known but it is certain that some of her servants ran with the tale to queen mary who ordered the clergymen of the savoy to be taken up for the omission of the prayer and to be subjected to something like a star-chamber questioning by her privy council the clergyman in a great fright said that the queen's chamberlain had forbidden the prayer for he feared that if this prayer was said queen catherine might put a stop to the protestant service altogether in that chapel queen mary was by no means conciliated by the explanation and went so far as to tell her privy council that she thought no more measures ought to be kept with the queen dowager after this if it were her order which no doubt it was whatever malice was meant against catherine by these words was averted from her by the manly self-devotion of feversham who when he received a personal rating from queen mary took the entire blame and responsibility on himself by affirming that the queen dowager was in utter ignorance of the whole transaction queen mary evidently expected that the royal widow would come to her next levee and make a humble apology for the whole affair catherine however with more tact than the world has given her credit for acted on lord feversham's hint 
and conducted herself as if utterly ignorant of the transaction and it appears that mary bound by the rigorous chains of courtly etiquette found no convenient opportunity of publicly attacking her on the subject yet the ill-will and hatred she cherished against her uncle's widow is apparent in most of the letters she wrote to king william it is moreover wholly from mary's pen that the incidents above are gleaned how they would have appeared if related by the royal widow herself is another question in the course of a few days after this discussion catherine of berganza resolved to quit england and gave notice to queen mary's ministry that she was preparing to embark for hamburg the french fleet were at that instant hovering off the southern coast of england and the government needed the whole of their ill-appointed and neglected naval power to oppose the invading enemy the escort for the queen dowager could not be spared and lord feversham was entreated to persuade her to stay where she was the result of her decisions was communicated to king william in a letter from queen mary who informs him that lord feversham told her lord chamberlain lord nottingham that he had put the queen dowager off of the hamburg voyage but she chose to go to bath this it seems was no less inconvenient because it would embarrass government to have guards there catherine then said she would go to islington where she was to sojourn at islington unless at canonbury house would be an enigma to the curious in topography lord marlborough however advised queen mary to give no answer till something was known of the success of the fleet two days afterwards on the sixth of july catherine visited queen mary to take leave before her retirement to hammersmith where she meant she said to stay till she could go to windsor by which it would seem catherine retained some right of residence either at the castle or the royal demesnes in its environs in queen mary's letter to king william dated july twelfth old style she mentions that the queen dowager had sent lady arlington to compliment her on his wonderful deliverance from death when he was wounded just before his victory of the boyne again queen mary mentions catherine in her letter to king william on his return to england september nineteenth sixteen ninety he had been beaten before limerick by sarsfield and obliged to raise the siege at his departure from ireland queen mary tells her husband that she had a compliment last night from the queen dowager who came to town on friday she sent it adds her majesty i believe with the better heart because limerick is not taken in another letter mary notices that the queen dowager had sent her a compliment on her swelled face this in the affected phraseology of the times signified a message of condolence it is certain that catherine long before her departure from england was heartily weary of her residence in london and the restraints and espionage to which she was subjected through the jealous enmity of queen mary once she entered into a treaty with the earl of devonshire for the purchase of chatsworth at another time she wished to remove with her diminished dowager court to knoll but the great wish of her heart was to return to the land of her birth it was not till the spring of the year sixteen ninety two that she was enabled to accomplish her desire she bade a final adieu to england on the thirtieth of march having lived there upwards of seven years from the date of her widowhood and in the whole thirty all but seven weeks evelyn makes the following notation on her departure the queen dowager catherine of braganza went out of england as pretended against the advice of all her friends 
she took several english ladies of rank in her suite among whom were the countess of fingal and her daughters and lady tuke and she made a point of always retaining some english ladies in her service and most honourably paid a large sum in pensions to those who were in her household at the time she left england and this munificence she persevered in as long as she lived she had amassed a considerable capital out of her savings during her seven years of widowhood when she lived almost in retirement this money she carried with her to her own country louis the fourteenth no sooner received intelligence of her landing in france than he sent a deputation to meet and welcome her and an escort of honour to attend her on her journey and invited her to his court but the royal widow who pined for her own country could not be tempted to deviate from the direct route for all the pleasures versailles could offer she travelled through spain and was met on the road by a splendid train of portuguese grandees of the highest rank who had been appointed by her royal brother to conduct her into his dominions at the head of this noble cortege was don enriquez de souza councillor of state who having been ambassador to the court of london was well known to queen catherine and very agreeable to her the marquez de arruches who had also been on a mission to england at the time of her distress and peril during the persecutions for the popish plot accompanied by seven other nobles had previously awaited her approach at almeida with a numerous company of attendants the marquez de arruches had notice of each day's journey made by her majesty catherine was attacked with a dangerous illness on her homeward progress she fell sick of the erisipelas at mataposelos a place belonging to the crown of castile when the marquez arruches learned this he sent to the university of coimbra for dr antonio mendez first professor of medicine and physician to the king one of the most skilful persons in the profession and brought him to her assistance queen catherine was very grateful to the marquez for this kind of attention and as soon as she was sufficiently recovered proceeded to almeida and from thence continued her journey to lisbon catherine was received with signal honors and the most enthusiastic welcome in her native land she entered lisbon january twentieth sixteen ninety three amidst the vivas and acclamations of the people as early as nine o'clock in the morning of that day the king her brother attended by all his court left his palace and went in state to meet her on the road they had not seen each other for upwards of thirty years a period replete with eventful changes to both the two cavalcades met in the street of lumlar in a place too narrow for the coaches to turn don pedro paid his sister the compliment of alighting from his to welcome her his lord chamberlain chief equerry and gentleman of the bedchamber having previously descended he came to the door of her coach and with many tender and affectionate words expressed the pleasure he felt in seeing her catherine alighted also and with equal warmth responded to her royal brother's kindness after these loving greetings had been exchanged between their majesties on the pavement they both entered the king of portugal's coach queen catherine took her seat at his right hand and the procession advanced in the usual order don pedro conducted catherine to the quinta de alcantara one of his country palaces which he had had prepared for her residence there his queen dona maria sophia who was waiting received her at the top of the staircase with great demonstrations of pleasure after the usual courtly ceremonial had taken place the queen of portugal took her leave 
her lord chamberlain gentlemen of honour and the ladies and officers of the household who attended her kissed the hand of their widowed princess the royal dowager of england the king returned with his consort to his own palace leaving catherine to take some repose in that which he had resigned to her use entertainments on the most magnificent scale were given in honour of her return and these lasted for many days the two queens when they became better acquainted formed a close friendship in consequence of which they agreed to dispense with all the rigid ceremonials of state so that if they met neither should deem it necessary to leave the place and in their private intercourse to treat each other with the endearing familiarity of sisters and dropping the formal titles of majesty to address each other per vos which in portuguese is tantamount to the u and i of the english and the affectionate tutoyer of the french the friendship of these royal ladies was never interrupted by any of the petty jealousies and intrigues which too often create a fever of hatred among the nearest connections in royal families catherine after residing some time in the quinta de alcantara removed on account of her health to that of the conde de redonda near santa marta and afterwards to that of the conde de avieras at belem in the month of february sixteen ninety nine she visited via visosa the place of her birth with which she was much delighted from thence she proceeded to the city of evora into which she made a public entry on the fourth of may she was received there with all the ceremonies due to majesty and more especially due to a princess to whom portugal might be said to owe her existence as an independent nation for such had really been the result of her marriage with charles the second and the good offices she had ever laboured to perform for her beloved fatherland nor were her countrymen unmindful of the obligations they owed to her although a new generation had sprung up since catherine of berganza became the bride of england and the terror of the fleet which came to bear her to her royal husband drove back the invading navy of spain from the mouth of the targus yet they were the sons of the men who had fought the battles of freedom under the banner of her father and knew that the english alliance had secured to them the fruits of their victories wherever she came triumphal arches were reared for her to pass under and she was regarded as the guardian angel of portugal nor was she wholly forgotten by the loyal and kind of heart in england pepys in the year seventeen hundred makes the following affectionate and respectful mention of the widow of his deceased sovereign in a letter to his nephew when in portugal if this should find you in lisbon says he i give you in charge to wait upon my lady Tuke, one of the ladies attending my once royal mistress our queen dowager a lady for whom i bear great honour nor if she should offer you the honour of kissing the queen's hand would i have you to omit if lady Tuke thinks it proper the presenting her majesty with my profoundest duty as becomes a most faithful subject it would have been pleasant to have been able to give the particulars of the presentation of one of her former subjects to queen catherine in lisbon it is to be hoped that the dutiful and reverential message of the worthy pepys duly reached her and was appreciated as it deserved she had seen enough of the deceitfulness and ingratitude of courtiers to value genuine affection though in homely guise catherine came to lisbon on the eighth of may seventeen hundred 
the countess of fingal and her daughters who had been in her service ever since she left england now desired to return to their own country after the long absence of eight years catherine supplied their places with portuguese ladies of the highest rank and some of them of her own lineage but they were all widows like herself about the same time she built a new palace chapel and quinta at bemposta where she principally resided except when her presence was desired by the king her brother in his palace on the death of her unfortunate brother-in-law james the second catherine as a tribute of respect to his memory ordered her palace of somerset house which she retained to be hung with black and all her servants there to wear deep mourning for a year catherine was again attacked with erisipelas in april seventeen o four which confined her for a long time to her bed it was unfortunately at the time when the archduke charles who had assumed the title of charles the third of spain as a rival candidate with the grandson of louis the fourteenth for the crown of that realm in which he was supported by england and portugal came to lisbon his majesty often sent to inquire after her health by one of the gentlemen of his bedchamber who delivered his message to her lady-in-waiting for the week to whom he one day communicated the great desire felt by his royal master to see her majesty though nothing could be more unseasonable to a lady suffering under so painful dangerous and disfiguring a malady than being required to receive a visit from any gentleman for a first introduction especially one claiming to be considered as the sovereign of a country so proverbially elaborate in its ceremonials as spain catherine courteously commanded the duke de cadalva to inform his majesty that she waited with equal desire to see him and that she left the day and hour to be fixed by his majesty two days afterwards the admiral of castile advised the duke that on sunday april fifteenth the catholic king would come to pay his respects to the queen of great britain orders were then given by the secretary of state to the grandees and officers of the king of portugal's household that they should all assemble in the palace of queen catherine the queen of portugal directed her ladies to repair thither also so that the appearance of a full and splendid court was effected by this arrangement for the royal widow of england in her own palace the ceremonial of the meeting between catherine of braganza and the titular monarch of spain is very quaint and will be perfectly new to the english reader as the details are from inedited portuguese records affording a curious picture of the minute solemnities which attended an apposition between the crowned heads of the royal houses of spain and portugal be it remembered withal that don charles of austria who is here styled his most catholic majesty was a youth not yet emancipated from the control of his tutor he was however treated with the same formal ceremonials as if he were the reigning sovereign of the spanish dominions and a gentleman of mature years the king of portugal's personal coach was sent for his use what manner of vehicle we cannot say but the arrangement of the noble persons who had the honor of accompanying his majesty is thus described in the front seat on the right hand was the prince de Liechtenstein, his tutor and grand chamberlain on the left the admiral of castile and in the left step or boot of the carriage the prince of darmstadt the suite followed in other coaches and the royal carriage was attended by the bodyguard rodrigo de almeida the gentleman usher of the ladies of the queen of portugal's household was at the door of the hall passing the first and second apartments in which the whole court was assembled 
andrea mendez porter to the queen's chamber was at the door of the third with orders not to let any fidalgo enter all the ladies were in this third apartment which was the reason that an etiquette derived no doubt from the customs of the moors excluded gentlemen as soon as the king of spain arrived all the court went below to receive him and accompanied him from the coach the king came uncovered and on that account all the grandees of portugal were bareheaded also no one accompanied him to the chamber of the queen dowager of england save his tutor who having placed a chair of black velvet which had been provided purposely for his use at a convenient distance from the bed withdrew to wait at the door of the chamber in the same apartment wherein all the ladies were assembled queen catherine in consequence of her severe indisposition was in her bed one lady only donna inez antonia de tavara the lady-in-waiting for the week was with her serving at the foot of the bed when the king of spain entered and as soon as he prepared to sit down she withdrew to the hall the interview of their majesties being strictly private nothing is known of what passed beyond the elaborate compliments with which they met and the formal courtesies that were exchanged when the royal visitor took his leave of the sick queen but as an instance of the ludicrous stress which was at that time placed on the most trivial observances in the spanish and portuguese courts it is recorded by our authority that his most catholic majesty departed without waiting to have his chair removed his tutor the prince of Liechtenstein, committed in the meantime a breach of etiquette for which his beardless pupil doubtless blushed if it was ever permitted to reach his royal ear while he was waiting for the return of the king of spain from the chamber of the queen of england he found himself oh privileged man the only cavalier in an ante-room full of ladies perceiving however that the admiral of castile was outside the door his serene highness feeling for the forlorn position of his friend took upon himself to tell the porter of queen catherine's chamber joas carnero that he ought either to allow the admiral to enter or let him go out but that functionary observant of the order he had received and too zealous for the honour of his own court to submit to be schooled by the tutor of a king of spain gravely replied that his excellency had to be there and the admiral not that if he wished to go he could do so but that the admiral could not enter because that apartment was reserved for the ladies and the admiral had no business there proper order being observed in that palace our author adds which showed that it was the habitation of a queen possessed of such prudence and virtues as was her majesty donna catharina what would he have thought of her visit to saffron walden fair could he have seen her majesty in her short red petticoat and waistcoat and the rest of her masquerading gear exalted on the sorry cart jade behind sir bernard gasquinet and witnessed the dilemma in which she and her two duchesses were involved in consequence of the discovery of her quality but in portugal perhaps the tale was never repeated or if it reached the court of lisbon through the medium of some gossiping ambassador's secret report of the daily doings of the king and queen of england it would have been difficult to induce any one to believe that their discreet infanta could have thus committed herself so highly indeed was the wisdom of catherine of braganza rated in her own country and by her own family that when her brother don pedro in consequence of alarming symptoms in his constitution deemed it necessary to withdraw for a time from the cares of government and the fatiguing parade of regal state 
he confided the reins of empire to her guidance and retiring into the province of bera for repose and change of air he left the charge of his dominions entirely to her and issued decrees to all the tribunals to give effect to her authority he sent a paper to her from his retreat by his confessor with his directions recommending her that in all things related to the government she should avail herself of the long experience of the duc de cadavel and enlarging on the zeal and fidelity of that nobleman for the royal service he also appointed a council of state and other ministers for her assistance it sometimes happens that persons of modest and unassuming manners are endowed with shining qualities for which the world gives them little credit till they are brought into public notice by the force of circumstances catherine of berganza who had been lampooned by andrew marvel buckingham and other evil wits while queen consort of england till it became the fashion of her own court to regard her as a simpleton was in reality possessed of considerable regnal talents and so popular and successful was her government while she swayed the delegated sceptre of her brother don pedro that in the following year seventeen o five during the dangerous illness of that prince she was solemnly constituted queen regnant of portugal the country was at that time engaged in a war with the french king of spain philip of anjou which she conducted with such skill and energy that the campaign was most brilliantly successful valenza de alcantara albuquerque salvaterra and carsa all yielded in the course of a few months to the victorious armies of dona catharina who proved one of the most fortunate and popular of female sovereigns catherine died of a sudden attack of colic at ten o'clock on the night of december thirty first seventeen o five the last day of the brightest year of her life having attained to the age of sixty-seven years one month and six days who would have ventured to calculate after all the blighted hopes the bitter disappointments and mortifications which had darkened the meridian horizon of catherine of braganza's existence that the evening of her days would be cloudless and serene and her sunset glorious the king her brother as soon as he heard of her illness hastened to attend her he arrived in an hour before she breathed her last and ordered a council of state to assemble at her palace of Bemposta to make the expedient arrangements in the event of her death which rendered it necessary for him to resume the regal functions catherine had made her will as far back as the fourteenth of february sixteen ninety by which she had constituted her brother don pedro her universal heir but dying very rich she left ample legacies to all her relations liberal alms to the poor and bequests to various monasteries in lisbon and via the sosa she also endowed a house for the jesuits to bring up missionaries for india she was attended by an english physician to whom it is affirmed by old mixon she declared on her deathbed that she had never intrigued for the restoration of popery in england and that she had never desired or demanded any greater favor for those of her own faith than was authorized by her marriage articles either old mixon and his informants were not to be trusted or catherine must have given some latitude to her words more than their common meaning allows catherine had chosen the royal monastery of belem for the place of her interment near the remains of one of her brothers who had died in early youth the infante don theodosio she had evidently retained a tender memory of this companion of her childhood with whom she wished to repose in death 
for she provided that in case his bones should be removed to the convent of San Vicente de Fora, as the king her father had arranged in his will, her own should be removed with them, and have sepulture in the primary chapel of that monastery. The obsequies of Catherine of Braganza commenced in the palace of Bemposta, where she died, with the office of do corpo presente, or the dirge, in which Don Antonio de Salvana, bishop of Portalegere, performed pontifically, assisted by six other bishops, who sang the responses. In the afternoon, all the clergy and religious communities, even the attendants on the monks and those not privileged to attend, were ranged in order from the palace of Bemposta, extending by the street of Santo Antonio dos Capuchos, to the Rosis, even to Esperanza, to await the removal of the deceased queen's body, for the commencement of the funeral procession from Bemposta to Belem. The corpse of Catherine of Braganza was placed in an open coffin, or bier, according to the custom of her country, and when all was ready for the commencement of the rites, Manuel de Vasconcelos y Susa, who performed the office of chief groom of the chamber, in the absence of his brother, the Conde de Castel Malor, Catherine's old and faithful friend, removed the pall which covered the bier, so that the face of the royal dead was exposed to view. The bier was then raised with great solemnity, and borne by eight grandees of the highest rank, all of them counsellors of state, to the litter, and so conveyed with great pomp, to Belem, attended by all her retinue, and the whole court of the king, her brother. The same noble persons who had placed the bier on the litter, took it off at Belem, in the churchyard. The brotherhood of Misericordia met it there, according to the practice of the interment of the sovereigns of Portugal. The funeral rites of Catherine of Braganza were performed with no less grandeur and solemnity than if she had been a reigning monarch. The king, her brother, was prevented, by a violent attack of his constitutional malady, from assisting at her obsequies, but his eldest son, the Prince of Brazil, and the Infantes, Don Francisco and Don Antonio, attended at the palace of Bemposta, to sprinkle the holy water before the bier was lifted, and accompanied it till it was placed on the litter the rigor of royal etiquette in Portugal permitted no more. As a testimony of respect, all public business and amusements were suspended for eight days, the court and its attendants mourned a year, and the ministers and their families were ordered to do the same. Catherine was greatly lamented in Portugal, where her name is held in the highest veneration to the present day. Her virtues and the events of her life were celebrated by the learned poet, Pedro de Azevedo Tohal, in a heroic poem of twelve contos entitled Carlos Reduzido, Inglaterra Illustrada. Catherine survived her faithless consort, Charles II, nearly one and twenty years. She was devoted to his memory in spite of his faults. It has been said that she allowed one of his natural sons, the Duke of St. Albans, two thousand pounds a year out of her own income. Perhaps he held an office in her household, for she continued the salaries of all her servants in England to the day of her death. She was well able to do this out of her royal jointure, having considerable demesnes in Portugal. The Earl of Feversham was accredited manager of Catherine's affairs in England. He did not accompany her to Portugal. She also appointed her old Lord Chamberlain, the Earl of Chesterfield, one of her trustees. So great was her respect for that tried and faithful servant, that she named him as the principal executor of her will, after the king her brother, but he did not act. Lord Chesterfield, in his autograph notes for 1706, thus notices the death of his royal mistress. 
This year, Queen Catherine, widow to King Charles II, died in Portugal, and did me the honor to make me her first or chief executor, which in Portugal is distinguished from the other executors, and the King of Portugal commanded his ambassador to come to my house and acquaint me with the honor that Her Majesty had done me, as also to let me know His Majesty's approbation of her choice, and to show me a letter from His Majesty, full of compliments and acknowledgments, for the service that I had formerly done Her Majesty, during the time that I had the honor of being Lord Chamberlain to Her Majesty. His Lordship wrote to the ambassador a complimentary letter in French, stating, that he was very sensible of the honor His Majesty had done him, in approving the choice the Queen had made in naming him as one of her executors, and that it would have been to him the greatest pleasure in life, had he been able to perform the duty of principal executor to one of the greatest and most illustrious princesses in the world, but the gout and the other infirmities of age would prevent him from acting in that capacity. Catherine of Braganza was prayed for in the liturgy of the Church of England as Queen Dowager in the reigns of James II, William and Mary, and Queen Anne. End of section 33. End of the Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 8, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland.